Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From us this week, thanks again for listening, folks, and we'll catch you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hi, everyone. Sean here. This is an interlude mini-sode between parts three and four of the Melbourne gangland killing series, providing some additional context leading into next week's full-length episode. Today I'll be talking about Victoria Police's Piranha Task Force and a few additional cases which occurred during the same time frame we covered in episode three, 2003, a turbulent and catastrophic year on Melbourne streets and within the criminal underworld. As I mentioned in part three, The Piranha Task Force was formed in mid-2003 after the murder of Nikolai Radev, a brutal crime that was extremely public. Victoria Police were forced to acknowledge that they hadn't kept up with the criminal underworld and were now behind the eight ball as far as intelligence was concerned. Back at this time, upon the appointment of new Chief Commissioner Christine Nixon, Assistant Commissioner Simon Overland, who was an import from the Australian Federal Police and had worked on the Colin Winchester investigation and the establishment of the Australian Crime Commission, was tasked with the broader oversight of Piranha. The day-to-day reigns and head of Piranha at first was Detective Inspector Andrew Allen, He'd previously worked in the armed robbery and rape squads before moving into the organised crime squad tackling outlaw motorcycle clubs. When Piranha came into being, Allen was the co-head of the homicide squad and he was later replaced in approximately 2005 by Detective Jim O'Brien. Detectives from across the service were seconded to the task force with the purpose of it providing investigators with what Paul Anderson referred to in his novel Shotgun City as an uninterrupted think tank environment. It gave detectives the time and resources to run down their leads and provided a focused, structured method of investigation where information was gathered, pulled and shared in a central database. Task force work can be absolutely tireless, with around-the-clock operations and surveillance, but over time it can pay huge dividends, particularly in organised crime circles, where there's a notorious code of silence that often hampers investigations. One of the big avenues Piranha explored was trying to cripple the finances of some of the bigger players, a method that worked for the likes of Elliot Ness and the Untouchables against Al Capone in Chicago in the 1930s. Christine Nixon in particular pushed for legislative changes to mirror Western Australian law, which had reverse onus applicable, meaning that criminals had to prove their assets were obtained legitimately, because what often happens is that criminals funnel their proceeds of crime into legitimate business ventures, effectively laundering their ill-gotten gains. Piranha in time would effectively exploit this to a degree, especially with the largest of players in Tony Mockbell. The work of the Piranha Task Force goes on to this day, with recent arrests in many of the cases we've covered to date, and no doubt more to come. 
And while Victoria Police had a significant corruption problem back at this time, particularly in elements of the drug squad, which we'll discuss more later in this and next week's episode, it's important to point out the good aspects too, in all fairness. But it would take some time for Piranha's effectiveness to be acknowledged as the war raged on in Melbourne's streets. Many in the general public were of the opinion that this was just crooks shooting crooks, and the police were happy to stand idly by and watch it all unfold. This pressure probably contributed to the formation of Piranha 2, but the truth was, police were behind, and these murders were all so public that it was only a matter of time before an innocent bystander got caught in the crossfire. In 2003, it seemed like every week there was another shooting, at the time causing great confusion as to what was part of the gangland war and what wasn't. On the 4th of June 2003, a young 28-year-old man named Shane Chartres Abbott was gunned down outside his home in Reservoir, an inner North Melbourne suburb. On the surface, it looked like another gangland killing at the time, but beneath the surface, it was anything but, and quite an intriguing tale in itself. Shane specialised in sadomasochistic-style sex services and told everyone he was a 200-year-old vampire which was probably all part of his sales pitch. Chartres Abbott wasn't even his real name, it was more of a character, seemingly. His grandpa had gotten the name from a building in Melbourne, Chartres House. Grandpa Chartres Abbott was a bit of a snake oil salesman, into the occult and black magic, selling anything he could to make a dollar. So it stood to reason that Shane had created his own thing around this premise and fitted it in with his character, his personality and his strengths. He'd not had any violent criminal charges or convictions, but in 2002, that changed when Shane was accused of serious physical and sexual assault. The woman, who we'll call Penny, that's not her real name, was a Thai lady who'd worked within the broader sex industry. Her and Shane had met a number of times before this night in 2002. Penny had previously gone out with a man named Mark Perry, who was said to be a tumultuous relationship and abusive at times. Her and Shane, however, got along quite well professionally. The following day after their meeting on the 17th of August 2002, Penny was discovered by hotel staff on the floor in the shower of her room, beaten to a pop and her tongue severely lacerated. But Penny couldn't remember a thing from the night before relating to the assault. She knew she'd met Shane, but nothing else after that. Shane was the last person to see Penny, but when police tracked him down, He claimed he'd left her in the room around 5am and she was fine, completely untouched. He said that someone else must have done it. But evidence police discovered suggested otherwise. At Shane's house, they found a jacket with Penny's blood on it and Penny's mobile phone in his bag. Shane said both the jacket and phone were planted. The jacket wasn't his, it was way too big for him, and he had no reason to take her phone. He'd been set up. And he told a subsequent tale of... Penny telling him the last time they met that he had a target on his back, a group involved in a sex ring containing high-profile folk in the legal fraternity and law enforcement were going to grab him and use him in a snuff film. The allegations weren't able to be corroborated and Shane was charged with multiple counts of physical and sexual assault, which he maintained he was innocent of. His initial court visit didn't sound too good when it was reported that the mutilation of the woman was allegedly by a man who claimed to be a vampire and needed to drink blood to survive. But Shane Chartres Abbott wouldn't make his next court visit on the 4th of June 2003. 
he was shot dead on his way to court outside his home. Another police task force, Briars it was called, was set up to investigate alleged police links to the murder when in 2007, a wily and violent criminal veteran named Keith Fore confessed to his involvement in the murder and alleged a pair of corrupt detectives were involved too. Implicated off the back of Keith's confession was a guy named Warren Shea. He was from the Gold Coast where he was arrested and extradited back to Melbourne to face charges. Evangelos Gusis, 44 at the time, was also charged over the murder, as was Mark Perry, Penny's ex-boyfriend. He was in Perth at the time of his arrest and also extradited back to Melbourne to face charges. Perry, Shay and Gusis were found not guilty of the murder and were also cleared of manslaughter. The two allegedly corrupt officers were also cleared of their involvement, none of which made Keith Four look too good. As we'll hear next week, Keith becomes involved in the main storyline of the gangland killings, as does Evangelos Gusis, one of the men accused and cleared in this crime. Adam Shand has a great investigative podcast on this called The Trials of the Vampire, which I'd recommend to anyone wanting an excellent deep dive on this case. But as it pertains to our coverage of the gangland killings, it was just one of many brutal shootings in broader Melbourne in 2003 and not connected to the main gangland war itself. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Prior to Nikolai Radev's demise, he'd seemingly been making some moves to take over things himself. In July 2002, he allegedly ordered a guy named Michael Goldman to kill a bloke named Alexander Kudryavstev. Goldman alleged that Radev was putting significant pressure on him to do the job and said, give him one in the head and I take care of the body. Radev claimed that Alexander, who was said to have been a police informer, had been involved or had knowledge of a burglary at one of his friend's warehouses. Whatever the truth of the matter, Goldman was found guilty of attempted murder as Alexander survived being shot in the abdomen and he was sentenced to 14 years jail. It was only nine months later that Nick Radev himself was gunned down in Queen Street, Coburg, in what was clearly a power move to take over his operations. That was evident when Mark Malia was also dispatched by Carl Williams's crew but two other of Nikolai Radev's associates were also killed in 2003 in seemingly unrelated circumstances. Usam Sam Zayat, who we mentioned briefly during part three in Nikolai Radev's background, was shot and killed on the 9th of September 2003, an aged newspaper article by Steve Butcher outlining how things went down as follows. Sam, 32 at this time, drove to a late-night meeting with business associate Nicholas Ibrahim. Accompanying him was his dog and friend Ali Aiden. It was alleged that Nicholas Ibrahim had earlier agreed to buy Sam's share in a city nightclub for $200,000 and had agreed to put down a $20,000 cash deposit. Nicholas Ibrahim got into Sam's car and after a short verbal exchange took place, another followed outside the car. 
Then Nicholas produced a pump-action shotgun and pulled the trigger, but the safety catch was on. Sam ran around a nearby tree and jumped a barbed wire fence before Nicholas, giving chase, shot him five times. Sam's friend, Ellie Aiden, ran across paddocks, flagged a motorist down and reported the incident to police, who later found Sam Zayat's body with multiple gunshot wounds. Nicholas Ibrahim allegedly told police that he shot Sam as a result of threats to him and his family over the nightclub deal. A jury found him guilty of manslaughter, rejecting his claim of self-defence, and he was sentenced to 15 years with a non-parole period of 13 years. And then, just six short weeks later, 49-year-old Steve Gullias and his partner Tina were shot to death execution-style in their home in Sunbury, which is some 40 minutes north of Melbourne. An Age newspaper article by Paul Miller describes the victim's circumstances, crime and investigation as follows. Steve Golias was a Hungarian migrant, a heavy gambler with a lot of unexplained wealth. He and his partner Tina, who was of Thai origin, ran a sham love-for-sale agency on the internet. The Partner Search Australia agency was alleged to have been a front for bringing Asian sex workers into Australia. Steve also attended a number of casinos in Australia where it's alleged he had turned over hundreds of thousands of dollars. He was alleged to have been involved with the illegal importation of motor vehicles and had associations with a number of high-profile criminals. Federal and Victorian police were investigating him, as was the tax office. One of his criminal associates was Nick Radev, who, as we said, had been shot down earlier this year. There's two persons of interest that have been named by police and the coroner in this case. The first, Niall York, a Sri Lankan businessman, and the second, a Thai woman known only as Superporn, who is believed to have been involved in the sex trade and introduction industry. Police managed to track her down in New Zealand, apparently, and had a chat with her about the conversation she had with Tina on the day of the couple's murder. But York, he remains at large, on the run overseas apparently. A Herald Sun article by Anthony Dowsley explains further that York, who worked as a salesman at Steve's car yard, gave an initial statement to police and admitted he was at the Sunbury property for a barbecue on the day of the murders, but had left with his brother. York also told police he had returned to the house to discuss a business deal involving a permit for a trucking yard but had left before the murders took place. Further investigations revealed that the now-fugitive Mr York and an Asian doctor bought the property belonging to Steve Gullius and his partner after they'd been murdered, and they sold it for about $1.2 million, more than tripling the price they paid. He then allegedly conned the doctor out of his share of the sale. A $200,000 reward is on offer to help solve the double murder, and anyone with information is urged to contact Crime Stoppers or the police. Another intriguing, brutal but unrelated case that further complicated the landscape for police and increased the public's fear throughout the violent year that was 2003. But there was one more important incident that happened in 2003, and this happened on Grand Final Eve in September, when the following day AFL teams, Brisbane Lions and the Collingwood Magpies duked it out for the Premiership, a game the Lions ended up winning comfortably, but on the eve beforehand, a house in Oakley East that was under police surveillance was burgled. 
Inside this house was a drug operation ran by Tony Mockbell's enterprise, The Company, and the two burglars who were caught at the scene had attempted to make off with a large quantity of cash. The two offenders were off-duty drug squad detective David Meeshill and one of his informers, a man named Terence Hodson. Terence had been a registered police informant since 2002, with his handlers in the drug squad being Detective Meeshill and Sergeant Paul Dale. And after their arrest, Terence's handling file with all the evidence he'd given detectives mysteriously went missing from police headquarters and was subsequently leaked throughout Melbourne's criminal underworld. This put a target on Terence Hodson's back and he was advised by police that he and his family should enter witness protection, an offer Terence ultimately declined for his own reasons. The following investigation by Vic Pohl's internal affairs, however, heard from Terence that it wasn't only David Meeshill who'd been involved in the burglary of Mockbell's lab, but Sergeant Paul Dale too. He simply couldn't make it, but he still wanted his cut, Terence alleged. All three men were ultimately charged, but this incident was just the start of many bad things to come the following year, things which got much worse before they showed signs of getting any better. Piranha had their work cut out, as the war reached its bloody apex in 2004, and that's where we'll pick up next week in part four of the Melbourne gangland killings.